If you've ever had questions about the 1031 exchange, you need to listen to this entire episode. Rad CEO Dutch Mendenhall dives deep with real estate attorney Ricky Guerrero and talk all things 1031. Ricky shares how he started in the family real estate business and how it inspired him to further his career in real estate. Dutch and Ricky give their hot take on rising interest rates and more. How you, do, you could you can diversify so you can sell one property let's say five hundred thousand and okay. you could buy two properties at two hundred fifty thousand each. Ah, okay. Or three hundred thousand. Your three properties at two hundred thousand each and six hundred thousand total. Um, so this is how you like diversify your portfolio and obviously you keep money in your pocket. You know you keep your your equity your gain and you move it over to new properties, and you can as I say defer till death. Uh, if you defer till death, then your beneficiaries get a step up in basis and they won't pay the tax when they get those properties right here right now on the rad podcast explore wealth you got water you're good yeah awesome well thanks for coming out man i appreciate it thank you for having Um, me our tribe is real estate investors and you guys got to eat this up right 1031 exchanges um a lawyer who's dealt in the asset management he's dealt in the legal ramifications of what it takes when you're making money when you're selling assets when you're selling real estate right but you know let's just start very simple for everyone, Ricky. Well, first, you know, tell everybody, you know, who you are, where you're from, all, all, all that cool stuff. Right. So my name is Ricky Guerrero, as you said. I am an attorney for five years now, based out of Miami, Florida, uh, specifically Coconut Grove. Um, now, you know, the lead on the 1031 exchanges for affiliated 1031 um, throughout the nation. We do transactions. We've done over probably 35,000 transactions total, including Liberty 1031. <laughs> And um, 29 years old, just here to, to educate everyone on one of 1031 exchanges and how they should utilize it, you know, to their benefit. So at 29, I was just flipping my first houses, right? <laughs> just just getting started. Um, you're born into a family of, of real estate in, in, investors. What's that like being growing up, being raised? Because I have kids that are going to grow up and be raised. Right. And, and a family of real estate investors. But what's this like growing up? Growing so up I, I grew up, um, for those that don't know, I grew up, my dad is, is a real estate investor. He was part of Homevestors, the We Buy Ugly Houses, flipping houses. I think at one point he had about 60 in one year that he was doing. So at 13, 14 years old, I was there just, you know, banging concrete walls, like just trying to help him out. And then uh, also going to my mom's office, who's a mortgage broker for about 25 years or so. And I kind of just grew up with it and, and fell in love with it myself. And then I went to the legal aspect of it because my mother and my father aren't an attorney. So I figured, why not I become an attorney and do you know real estate law? I always find that fascinating because for me, I always say, let professionals do what professionals do. Mm-hmm. And I kind of cut my first teeth with that when I was coaching baseball and I would do private lessons with kids and dads would try and tell their kids, right things that they had that they couldn't understand right, Cause right. They, they, and and so i remember saying that like let professionals but as i got older and i did my first real estate investing the only the main reason i know i'm in real estate even to this day is because i found great partners right. and and those great partners had experience they had background they had history in doing real estate that i i, I just didn't have right. i kind of grew up in a real estate family but like a dysfunctional real estate family where yours sounds like it was it was pretty functional Pretty yeah, yeah, it was pretty so. functional. And, and now my dad's gone over more to the commercial side. Um, so I, I have investments myself, but I, I've learned a lot from him. And I've learned a lot working in, you know, real estate law with my partners and, you know, my mentors in the real estate law aspect. So born into an entrepreneurial family, right? Probably having some entrepreneurialism in your in your heart and soul. But now you're working, you know, in, in, in a field that, you know, is very strict it's very regimented it's very like if you screw it up you cost people money 
Absolutely. Right? Yeah. So tell everybody what a 1031 is. A 1031 exchange is uh, it's a code under the IRS statute which allows you to defer capital gains tax and depreciation recapture along with state taxes when applicable. So let's, let's slow it down for right. the layman out there, right? So what is what is capital gains? Capital gains tax is when you have gains on a well, now it's just real estate investment property. So when you have a gain on real estate investment property that you purchased, you will get taxed on that money. You know, for layman's terms, it's used as an example. Uh, you purchase a property for $100,000 and five years later, you sell it for $400,000. You have that $300,000 in equity. That's mm -hmm. gain. You're going to get taxed on that gain. And that's dependent on your tax bracket, but it could go max up to 23.8% of that capital gain. Okay. So we have an OZ fund, right? And so if somebody sold a business... That might be a great vehicle for them from them from an investing standpoint to defer capital gains. But with 1031, you're actually not really deferring capital gains. It's from the selling of real estate. And you're able to literally, I think, you know, I always say compound interest is the eighth wonder of the world. And you're literally able to kind of compound your returns into the next deal or the next real estate. Is, is that is that how it works? You buy another property afterwards? In essence, yeah. So you are going and I'm to... I'm acting dummy for everybody. No, because it's, I, it's, I want it's them, okay. I want them to learn. Right? I, I know. So. That's, what, that's what I'm here for, to educate everyone. Um, so yes, you're going to sell a property, a real estate investment property, and then you're going to purchase one for the same value or more than what you're selling for in order to completely defer those taxes. Now, would you 1031 your personal home? You cannot 1031 your personal home. Okay. However, section 121 of the IRS code would apply to your personal home, which will give you uh, the benefit of if you're single, you own that property as a single individual, $250,000 as a credit towards that gain that you won't be taxed on. Or if you own it as a married couple, $500,000. So like I bought my my last house in California for six 600000 mm -hmm. And, you know, we decided not to sell it. We held it onto it and rented it. But today it's probably worth like, right at a million dollars. Right? right. So I would have made, if I sold it today, I'd probably make between three fifty and 400,000. Right? right. Um, probably closer to three fifty with realtors fees and closing costs and everything else. So if I made that three fifty, only two fifty of that would be protected. Uh, no. Cause that turned into an investment property. It's not your primary residence. If, if, but I mean, if I had sold it when I moved out. Right, right. Correct. If it was your primary residence, if you owned it as a single individual, 250,000 of that would not be taxable. But the other 100K capital gain would be taxed. Correct. As, yeah. as, as income if, if I sold it. Right. right. Now, it, now it's now that it was my personal home, but now if I sold it, it would be done as an investment property and I could 1031 it. Right. You could have 1031. The, now the property you could 1031 because it's a real estate investment property. How long does that have to be uh, held? The napkin rule is generally two years. Uh, okay. We've seen as little as a year and a day because that mm -hmm. is uh, the threshold for short-term capital gains and long-term capital gains. What's the difference? Uh, Short-term capital gains is when you it's less than a year and a day, so the tax is going to be higher. What and is then, what is? Do you know the um, uh, above twenty-five percent? I believe, okay. and then the long term is it could be twenty-three point eight max. Yeah, so so you because you guys mostly deal with ninety-nine percent. Right, tax, right. It's long, long term. term. Yeah. Okay, so this is this is fun for yeah. me, right? Uh, me too. I'm, maybe it's a little I, it's a little real estate stuff. nerd, but <laughs> I love this stuff too. So. So for, for an average individual, and, I, and I'm just trying to think, because I've talked to, you know, we have so many investors and they're asking 1031 questions all, all the time, right? right? Now, what can you put a 1031 into? Is it only into real estate? Can you put it into other things? Can you move it into a trust? Can you, you know, can you invest it? I get this question all the time. Can, can we do a 1031 and move it into your REIT? Right. That's a, that's a real common question. So right now it's, it's real estate investment property majority. It used to be a personal property as well, such as painting, art. That got removed in 2018. You could also do a 1031 exchange into a Delaware Statutory Trust, which in essence okay. is, is a REIT. 
uh, and then you could also do opportunity zones. Uh, but that the tax is a bit different on opportunity zones. You'll get taxed eventually versus if you 1031 into a real estate investment property, you can, what we say is DTD, defer till death. Yeah, it, they're, they're, yeah, they're different. Um, yeah, they're different vehicles, right? right? Exactly. For, for sure. I've always thought that like if somebody wants cash flow, maybe, maybe you correct me, it's just theorizing, right? Mm-hmm. If somebody wants cash flow and they're going to you know buy a property, let's say they're 30 years old, and every five years they're kind of is, which is a good, good kind of mark to sell, to sell property. Right. right? Um, even though we, we, right with appreciation, we, we kind of like to hold things forever, but, but, <laughs> but you can't get depreciation if you hold something forever. Exactly. Only 27 years, but so, so, but let's say every five years they're selling a property. And so they're starting to compound from 1031 to 1031 to 1031. Mm-hmm. And, and so let's say they've, you know, built a million dollars in equity over, over, you know, 10, 15 years, which is pretty reasonable in right. real estate. Now, if they want, you know, cash flow, an opportunity zone isn't necessarily going to be the best cash flow, cash flow pays for them because, because now their money's in there, you know, the best way to do an opportunity zone if they leave it in there 10 years. Exactly. So with a 1031 though, you could 1031 and not use leverage if you chose not to. Now you can do complete cash flow. So from a retirement standpoint, I've always kind of liked that, that theory of, of, you know, using your equity from all the years of 1031 to, to zero out your leverage. Right. And, and then, and then cash flow. Now talk about leverage, right? Loans, um, like properties, those are comments I often hear, right. hear, hear so, from people. So like kind property really just means any real estate investment property. So for example, you can okay. sell a condo and buy a vacant land, or you can sell a mobile home and buy a hotel. You know, as long as it's a real estate investment property, that is what like kind of property entails. So I would tell you a lot of investors get confused on that. that yeah. That's a real common it's thing. A very where they, common issue. They'll even call me and, you know, with our inner circle members and they'll be like, hey, Dutch, I just sold this property. I need another, you know, apartment or I need another right. office building or I need another this to, to put my money into. Um, can you help us, you know, with with a 1031, right? Mm-hmm. And I always tell them, well, we don't do 1031s. We're not lawyers. <laughs> um, we're an investment vehicle. Right. Um, but we'll we'll connect you with, you know, great companies, you know, like affiliated 1031. Um, because they'll hold your hand, they'll walk walk you through the process. If you don't right. do it with a lawyer, you're gonna screw it up. Right. Pretty, pretty there's certain things in life that you yeah. can't do without without lawyers. <laughs> you always right? need a good lawyer and a good accountant. If we didn't have a good lawyer, the SEC would tell us you're not allowed <laughs> to be to, to 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 be an investment fund the way you guys are. Right. So so then talk about leverage. So I've heard this recently, and I don't know what the facts are, non-facts are, but someone said to me, well, I had, I had leverage in my previous property. I sold it, so I need to have leverage in my new property. I didn't know if that, that sounded weird to me, but, but I, I don't know. Not, not in essence. So, I mean, leverage in my mind, I'm thinking equity, loans, yeah. right? loans. So you don't necessarily need it, but obviously if you want to completely defer, you have to purchase the same amount or more, right? So if you're mm-hmm. selling for 500, there's people oftentimes that have mortgages or loans that are encumbering their property. So let's say they have a, let's say you're selling for 500, they have a loan for 200, they're only you know netting 300,000. Mm-hmm. And then if they have to buy something for 500,000 or more, then they're going to end up getting another loan if they don't have that equity with them. So they have to buy 500,000. You don't have to. If you don't, it's called a partial exchange. So that just means okay. you're going to pay taxes on the difference. So same example, if you sell for 500 and instead of buying for 500,000 or more, you purchase for 300,000, that's fine. You deferred the taxes on the 300,000, but you're going to pay taxes on the $200,000 difference. The IRS doesn't care about loans that you own the property but it's only on the, the the capital gains so let's say they they bought as a great example so there's they have a 500k property mm-hmm. and you said they have a 300k loan or right. 200k loan what did you say 200 dollars $200, loan on it right and so let's say on that property a hundred thousand of that was capital gains so they they you know basically two hundred thousand dollar loan two hundred thousand cash 
and then they made a hundred thousand well, dollars. The IRS doesn't care about loans. There's only okay. five items they allow you to deduct from that purchase price or your sales price. Okay. Uh, and that's attorney's fees, our fees as the qualified intermediaries, taxes on the deed, real estate commissions, and title search. Those are the only five things that allow you to deduct. Run through those one more time. Yes, of course. Attorney's fees, our fees as a qualified intermediaries, transfer taxes on the deed, title search, mm -hmm. and real estate commissions. And real estate commissions. Okay. So that's th th interesting because reality is, is, is a loan is really what determines, you know, true, true, true money made or not money made on. Right. But on the IRS property. sees it as, as that was your option to purchase that property. Got you. Got they're not, you. they're not very friendly. So, so it's, it's the top. So you might be able to get away with that being a lawyer, right? <laughs> Me, I think the IRS are amazing people. I, <laughs> I, I, I think they treat us extremely well and they make sure they take care of our investors. They, they definitely do. But I'm just, I'm just teasing. <laughs> they definitely do, but they just, they're, they're pretty strict when it comes to dentistry ones. And we've been, we've been through two audits in our life. One was a, the EDD, like a unemployment right. audit. And that was, that was many years ago. And that was six months and, and like 40 binders. And wow. at the end of it, when it was all said and done, you know, we, we got fined nothing. We got, you know, n nothing at all. Right. Right. And I've been through one, you know, personal, you know, IRS, IRS audit. And, and those things are things I never, you know, want right. to go through again. But they say as you make more money, you're more likely to get you know audited, audited yeah. more and more. So I've probably been pretty, pretty, pretty blessed at this point. Right. Yeah. It's just they're very strict. Yeah. They, and they need to be. So I, I understand. I, I'm always amazed about the amount of different places that um, they tax and the amount of places they don't tax and, and like their true understanding of of everything that happens in money. But I always think some of that's just, you know, the politicians wanting to keep their money, right? And I right. think a lot of these rules are made because, you know, a lot of politicians were in power. People in power typically are the people who make money. And people who make money, you know, typically want to figure out ways to, to, to keep their money. Right. Well, the, the reason for 1031s when it was originally written was about 101 years ago uh, was so investors can stimulate the economy, you know, purchasing the same amount or more. And that's really the reason behind it why it's still here today. So speaking of stimulating the economy, right, there's right now interest rates, a hot topic. And, you know, I, I go back and forth on it in different ways, probably like before I was being all nice about the IRS, right, but I'm not as nice about the Fed, right? Yeah. I feel like, you know, trying to mess with the economy um, goes against my fundamental beliefs that, that capitalism corrects itself and writes itself. Mm -hmm. um, what are your beliefs on that? And I mean, I, you know, I, I don't judge other people's I, I, beliefs. I understand so. the, the combating of inflation and, and what they're trying to accomplish by raising the interest rates and slowing down the market. But I, I'm kind of in agreement with you, you know, let it let it settle itself. You know, it's not our fault. You decided to keep printing money. Yeah. Right. Um, but I, I understand the theory behind it. It's good for your business, right? Inflation. Right. Increasing no, values yeah. of property is definitely A lot of people are going to sell and want to do 1031s because yeah. they don't want to, you know, pay capital gains or depreciation or, you know, state tax if applicable. Mm -hmm. So how much does state tax come into what you guys do or not? Not a lot. Oh, it does. Uh, majority of states follow the, you know, the code, the 1031 code and federal rules. So they, they allow you to defer the state tax if you do a 1031. Okay. That's, that's pretty cool. Where do you think we're headed with, with interest rates? I think there'll be two more. Raises, I think there's there's a projection of two more about seventy five basis points, uh, so probably eight eight and a quarter percent. And so for for first you know single you know people's primary residence they'll probably pay eight eight and a half. Yeah, they're, they're buying rates. their buying power is just diminishing. Yeah. So what do you think that does to the values of real estate? What do you think that does to our economy in the real estate? And I'm just talking about the real estate niche, not yeah. necessarily the whole economy yet. I think real estate will stabilize itself i don't i think you know the inflation 
overvalued properties and, and you know we saw it people were, were paying over appraisal ridiculous amounts and i think it'll just lower it to the point where it's stabilized but i don't think it's gonna you know it's we're not heading into 2008 or anything close to that 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 was completely different yeah i mean we're kind of excited i mean we're not because we're not retail buyers we're not we're not you know right. just you know find a realtor and, and purchase a property yeah we're, we're, we're nitty-gritty dogs when it comes to you know buying off market you know your dad comes from home investors so you know yeah. exactly <laughs> You know what I'm talking about. You know when it when it comes to that part of the world, and so we cut our teeth. You know when we had no money to do to, mm -hmm. to do real. It was a little different today, where I feel like cash is king, and so we're able, we're able to make a lot of those those moves that that others can't. Right. Where do you feel like like for me? I monitor in the real estate niche. I monitor mortgage rates, mortgage foreclosures, mortgage defaults, supply right versus mm -hmm. the amount of demand on the marketplace and stuff. Right. Right. Where do you guys feel like you know kind of the threshold is? For, for what you see over the years in 1031 when you see the market slow down or pick up? Uh, we, we really look at mostly, at least personally myself, uh, supply and demand. You know, I, I think that's that's basic economics and mm -hmm. that leads to, you know, where the economy is going to be. And that's that's precisely at least South Florida. I don't I don't see South Florida really being an issue if, if I know people are predicting a recession, but I don't see it being an issue because there's way too much demand in South Florida specifically and in Texas as well. Miami is its own its own little niche universe yeah. right it, it really is it's like its own little country yeah so t tell people a little bit about miami uh miami i sure mean people are curious i was i was born and raised in miami so i've never left miami city I, never sleeps city never sleeps it's uh it's it's definitely an experience if you've never been you have to go to miami it's it's i love it uh very high paced um and it's it's a great city with a lot of booming real estate at this moment well that's everywhere but there's a lot of uh, demand and traction from other states such as New York, uh, Texas, Chicago, like Illinois, California, uh, Citadel's moving down to Miami now. So that's a $50 billion hedge fund. That's going to, and there's a lot of tech companies that are coming from overseas as well. It's, 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 in, it's nice to see. I mean, it's, it's growing a lot quicker than we anticipated, but the infrastructure is there in the land. I mean, you gave the businessman view, like Miami's this, but tell people about the culture. Tell me people what Miami's. Miami's yeah. Like. The I culture mean, is great. I mean, you have a very Hispanic community. I mean, that's, that's the hub for South Americans and, and Cubans really. There's a lot of Cubans, Colombians, Venezuelans. Uh, so there is streets that it's strictly all Hispanic and mm -hmm. they have a street called Calle Ocho, which is a street in English. Um, and that's, it's great to see because they still have the heritage and the culture of the Spanish culture. So you do have, you know, your brick old downtown and then you have, you know, the Calle Ocho, which is like all Hispanic Cuban where they play dominoes outside. And it's great to see. That's pretty cool. That's yeah. pretty cool. If I've, I've been to Miami twice. I think it's one of the a fun city and a culture. Like if you're into culture, you're into like, like real life, right? Not, right. not boring life, real, real life, like culture. I think it's one of the fun places like people should go and visit. Um, when it comes to this Delaware statute, that's something I find, you know, really, really interesting because it's a way for people to move their money out of houses into a fund right. or into uh, a REIT like ours without really without having to do a natural 1031, which is house to house because a REIT right. is destined as property. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. So does it matter what the REIT invests to as long as it has the REIT IRS designation? Yeah. As long as it's a Delaware statutory trust, you can do a 1031 into the Delaware statutory trust. Now, how does that apply when it comes to the number? So let's say they sell a house for 500, right? Mm -hmm. And then the REIT has leverage. So the REIT obviously, you know, our, you know, REIT's closing in on a hundred million in assets. So obviously mm -hmm. we're a lot more than 500,000 
for a property, right? right? As long as your interest that you're buying is the same amount or more than what you're selling for. So the 500,000 as your example. Okay. So your, your asset value in your, in your specific stock, right? In essence, yeah. The way I read is structured, it's stock. So, so, so essentially as long as your stock value of that you're buying is 500,000 in, in total stock value. Right. But how does that work when our loans or our leverage in the REIT aren't, um, these are just curious questions so that they, they're not that like our net, it's our net asset value. Right. So that doesn't include loans, right? right? When we calculate a, a stock value. So if someone purchases 500,000 in stock with us, then they're not, um, the value might not be, they would do the part. They'd be doing a partial right. 1031 at that point. Right. Okay. Now what about when people take money out of if, a REIT? If you did a 1031 into a REIT and then you take it out, you'll be taxed on that money. Can you 1031 out of the REIT? You cannot. You cannot. No. So that that's the final. It's like a one and done. That's the final destination. So if I were to say, you know, if I was an investor and I were to have a house and I want to get access to portion of my capital, but I want to, I don't want to be taxed on all of it, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe a REIT is a good is a good vehicle for that. Maybe it's not, right? Um, I think I think it could work. But what if they getting very more complicated to the average investor? So they take a house, they ten thirty one into the Delaware. Uh, trust mm -hmm. that, and then they put that money into the REIT and then they start making, you know, selling stock from the REIT as they need capital or, or personal cash flow. And then they take the gains right from, from that REIT and they move that gains into an opportunity zone fund. And so they could defer that difference um, and, and, and utilize the tax code effectively. By the way, let's be clear. Neither one of us are CPAs or tax advisors. <laughs> Yeah, and legally, so you lawyer, can't rely on a... This is a lawyer and a real estate investor talking about taxes. And so, you, obviously, you should always check, you know, with your financial advisor, your your tax Correct. professional. I just want to make sure those disclosures are there for everybody. Absolutely. But, but I think we're having a real conversation because the challenge is, is you go to a lot of tax professionals, they can't answer these questions. Right. They struggle with them. Um, I've talked with accountants or CPAs who don't really know what a 1031 is before. Um, and the Delaware Trust thing is is something I've heard um, from some different lawyers or some different 10, 1031s I've talked to over the years, but, but to have someone, you know, clearly, clearly know what they are is, is, you know, a bit of, bit of, bit of a gift. Cause it's the secrets that they don't, that the super rich don't tell people. Right. And, and, and so that's a lot of difference, but what do you think about that kind of, I don't know if didactic is the right word from, from buy your property to a REIT to an opportunity. Yeah. Zone. I mean, I mean, the moment you, you pull it out of the DST, you know, that, that becomes a taxable event. So at that moment, you know, you have to see, you know, if you could offset with your accountant, obviously, if, if that would work. But I, to me, it seems like a taxable event once you take it out of the DST. Okay. Now, how does depreciation work for people when they're doing 1031s, right? So, you know, they're not obviously achieving their full 27 years. Right. Um, otherwise, you'd only be able to do like, you know, two in a lifetime. <laughs> 50, 50 years would be done, right? Um, so the... Uh, how does that how does that work? So the depreciation will be based on the amount of years that you depreciated for. So let's say five years, and then you're going to be you would have to pay that tax on the five years you depreciated the property, unless you do. Oh, so once you sell it, you have to pay back right, the five years depreciation depreciation tax. Okay. Now within the new property, then their depreciation start, starts from scratch. So right. it doesn't the depreciation doesn't carry over, or no. the five years doesn't carry over. So that there's not a shield right now there with the depreciation. So people can accelerate depreciation to, to, I, I believe maybe I'm getting into tax accounting. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I don't want to get into that field, but I, I believe so. I mean, I, I don't. Okay. 
So, you know, what is your recommendation when people are looking to sell property, looking to, to sell, sell real estate and stuff, right? What would you tell them to start, you know, looking? Where would you tell them, you know, how to view this whole, this whole part of the gambit? Well, I think, um, you know, I think generational wealth is not like a big thing, uh, you know, in this generation. And I think, you know, this is a tool that needs to be utilized by everyone, not just, you know, your seasoned commercial investor or reinvestor, whatever it may be. I think if you own one investment property, this is how you turn one into two one into three, three into five. Uh, how do you do that? How you do, you can, you can diversify. So you can sell one property, let's say 500,000 and okay. you could buy two properties at 250,000 each ah, okay. or 300,000 or three properties at 200,000 each and 600,000 okay. total. Um, so this is how you like diversify your portfolio. And obviously you keep money in your pocket. You know, you keep your, your equity, your gain, and you move it over to new properties and you can, as I say, defer till death. Uh, if you defer till death, then your beneficiaries get a step up in basis and they won't pay the tax when they get those properties. Okay. So when, when they're, when people are doing this and the types of real estate, I think most people, the, the most common thing people think of is houses, right? That's, that's natural. Right. And then you think apartments or, but 1031 applies to all forms of, of anything designated by the IRS as real estate. Yeah, any any real estate investment, you know, so, so vacant land. So here's here's a here's a oddball question that just came, just popped into my head. Crypto, cryptos uh, by the IRS is is taxed as real estate, right? So does that apply in any it way? Does, to the it does not world? apply. No, it okay. does not apply. Just, just, that just, would that just would curious. be that would be more personal property. Okay. Which is yeah, they they took that out in 2018, unfortunately. Okay, so before 2018, they did they allow you're able to a, yeah you're able wow. to 1031 art if you wanted to. That, that that that's fascinating the um with the real estate industry is there any vehicle whether like because i know people invest in syndications or or the private money deals or they'll invest into hard money private equity they'll right. invest into private placements invest in all kinds of different ways people invest into real estate but only true ownership of property is is the way they can do 1031 right exactly now does it apply to entities like if someone has an llc and the LLC is the owner of the property. Yeah, then the LLC would be the one doing the 1031 exchange, not the individuals. Unless it was a sole member LLC, which at that moment is a pass-through for tax purposes. Uh, but multi-membered LLC or corp, that entity is going to be the one doing the 1031 exchange. So this sounds really ignorant, right? I mean, I'm a founder of a REIT that, you know, with a hundred plus million dollar portfolio, but I don't really get involved in the taxes whatsoever of how our REIT does things back and forth, pretty much just our accountants and all those things to have it. So like as our REIT, are we able to, do we 1031 from property to property or how does it work for a REIT like ours? When uh, we sell property, and we I, hold most of our properties for a long time. So right. I don't believe a REIT can, cause you're still, you're a trust, you know, you're a, an interest trust, real estate interest trust. You cannot, um, unless you're taxed as a corporation, which I'd have to, you'd have to ask your accountant. Um, otherwise I don't, I don't believe. So that. I think it's, I think it's a real estate investment trust and, and hey, this is just part of me, you know, being transparent. I don't, I don't know it all. Is I think we have our own tax code. Like with I believe REIT, so as well. Yeah, it's like its own special real estate tax code. Because I know, yeah. like, if I flip a property and I don't put at least thirty percent of the the profit, you know, didn't come from rehab. Right. So if I make a hundred, I've had to put thirty into rehab. I actually get a hundred percent taxation. Exactly. So I I know we pay close attention. Yeah. To that because nobody wants. <laughs> yeah, that you guys are. It's very different when it comes to REITs and how they're treated on the tax you know bracket aspect. Cool, man. I, I appreciate all the things that, that, that you're sharing. Um, diving back into um, how you think things will change, you know, politically, right? right? I know, like, for us, when it went from Trump to Biden, and then we're very, you know, non-political -polit here, but, you know, we had to do some things different with the SEC, right? 
obviously the fed chair changed you know, right. right the administration so his their policies changed with interest rates and stuff right so you know where do you see you know real estate 1031 you know where do you see it you know during the ne during the next couple of years i i don't like i said i see real estate stabilizing at most but that's it and and 1031s i don't see 1031 going every, anywhere i know they've been trying to get rid of 1031s for a long time for decades and it, it's just a tool that makes sense, you know, mm -hmm. and, and yes, the IRS, um, you know, might not receive taxes, but the investors are stimulating the economy, which is what the code was written for. So I don't see it going anywhere. There's a lot of lobbyists and panelists that, you know, push for it. So they, I don't see that changing and people will always have gains. So there's there's really a huge market for this that don't utilize it. And there's a lot of, you know, U.S. citizens in the United States in total that don't know what this is and don't get to utilize it. I mean, I think personal wealth is a good thing, right? And and I think in our country a little bit, there's a little bit of a attack on the billionaire, um, attack on 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 people people making money, and and you know I, I I get frustrated with that because it truly is the American dream, right? I I agree, I I get frustrated with that because, I mean, you shouldn't. I don't think anyone that's successful should get taxed more just because you know they're successful. It's, I don't think that's fair. Because I think if, if you know, anyone became successful at that moment, they're going to be like, I don't want to pay more tax just because I'm making more money. I mean, I, I, I say this, and, and it's probably not a popular opinion, right? But I think, I think it's weak to hate on other people's success. And, and, you know, I think I struggled with that growing up because I was, you know, pretty poor growing up and my, and my parents had their challenges. And so I would look, you know, at a guy driving a fast car or I would look at certain things. But there was a time in my life where, like, I transitioned. And, and I transitioned to, to, well, how did they get it? Where did that right. come from? What did they do right? How do I do right? How do I do better? You know, and, and I think, you know, going through that evolution myself as a person and going from what I would call a scarcity to an abundance, you know, belief system is, 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 is game changing. What's kind of your belief system with that kind of stuff? I, I think the opportunity is there. I mean, I think this is a land of opportunity. You know, people come here for a reason. Uh, from different countries and obviously because they see the difference here in the United States compared to their countries or any other countries. Um, I, I just, you know, I do think the opportunities there, I think in, the path might be more difficult for others. And I understand that. I understand how, you know, you have the lower class, the middle class and the upper class, but the opportunities there, it's just about going and getting and going and maybe doing a little more than anyone else in any other aspect or any avenue or doing something different. Yeah. I mean, like for me, I've been able to give more to like, the things we believe in, right? More to like the military nonprofits, right. the children's nonprofits that, that we believe in. I've been able to do more for that than I ever, I've, I've ever could have imagined before. And I, I love that part of abundance, but you're talking about people coming to America, right? People coming to this country. And so I have kind of a, you know, a radical, you know, belief on, on, on coming the right way, immigration, right? Come right. in the right way. Right. right? And, and, and my belief is like our government, if we went from a complete place of abundance, there would be no lack of ability for people to build wealth and, and, and creating more paths and avenues for to pe people to build wealth and build success, you know, in America is, is a beautiful thing. Right now. Immigration is one of America's greatest assets. Absolutely. And in, in the history of our country, right? No one would exist in America if, if it wasn't for, you know, original, you know, immigration. Right. Right. And, and I know there's, you know, some people that would politically agree with, with, you know, indigenous Americans and, and those kind of things. And I, I get, they get those arguments, but here's the reality of the world we live in today. So I say put, you know, tens of billions of dollars into having the greatest immigration program in the history of the world, where there's, you know, whether it's, you know, schools and dormitories and, and testing and, and, you know, deep, deep research and putting together something incredible, 
then gives us the resource of, of you know, people coming into our country um, and, and getting a better life, but doing it the right way, right. Like, like you were saying. And so I think that comes from a blunt. When you go to scarcity, I think the weakness of people thinking, hey, you know, that guy's going to take my job or that woman's going to take, you know, benefits from me and those kind of things is, is, is coming from a place where, of lack. Right. And we live in, 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 the, in, in a country where there is no lack. And I, but I feel like a lot of people now are more about convenience. Mm. Uh, you know, I, I, let's say it, you know, it is true in the world. You know, we live. You know for your, your example, someone comes in and someone's afraid that they're going to take their job. Well, you might want to work remote and they might want to work in the office, you know, and they might get the job just because of that. And I think, you know, they, they I think people from other countries might see the opportunity more and, and have the desire to go get it more because they lack you know, the opportunity in their country. And here it's become, you know, opportunity of convenience. At not all the time, but sometimes. Yeah, I mean, I think it's fascinating, right? Because I think anytime you talk about those things, there's there's yin and yang, right? Just right. just as much as there's people pursuing convenience, there's also you know people like that are, that, are, that are built like me that is just like I'm pursuing like like the dream of growth and development, right. and building something incredible, right? I don't even like I'm past the point of where, where individual money, like I don't, I just don't care, you know, you know what I mean? And so now it, it's more of you know how do we build something and Build some, some something more something that's bigger better. than you yeah, yeah. But they always people talk about inflation right and they say one of the reasons they want inflation is because when inflation goes through such a rapid pace, consumers get bored i don't think american consumers get bored i don't think so either <laughs> and, and and maybe we've never lived in you know germany when you know you know you know inflation caused you know it's causing their dollar to you know go up by two thousand percent a day that's it's a, a very different world right. um what i would say is that the last time we raised interest rates in in the seventies, you know, unemployment went all the way up to ten or eleven percent. We're like at at an unreal one percent now. Right. Yeah. So in today's world, I mean, who's really worried about someone taking their job? I think there's more jobs available, and there's underemployment way more than than than. Yeah, I think we the average normally for unemployment's what seven eight percent. Yeah. So yeah, we're. we're I mean, good. I think they say healthy is three to five. I mean. But yeah, I think in a lot of a lot of it's just different different economies. There's always yeah. how you rate unemployment too. Right. But I don't think we live in a country where anybody who wants a career or job, who wants work, who wants to make money, that, that's not available. Yeah. They might not know how. They might not know the right way to do a resume, the right way to pursue a career. They might have to move um, in some ways. But there's virtual work now in ways we you know never even understood two right. years ago. So it's a cool cool topic. I, I like that a lot. Yeah, I think for this American dream. And I'm, I'm working on a book right now, a redefined American dream. And, you know, what do you think, you know, the American dream is today? I think the American, I mean, I think it depends who you're, who you're talking to. I think if you're, you're talking to someone who is coming from another country, it's citizenship, right? Even though they get, they're probably better off with tax purposes wise, but I think for the, for the American citizen, you know, it's, it's building wealth and, and, I see it so much now, uh, specifically on social media, generational wealth. You know, why do people want that? Because they want to leave their family not having to worry about money or work and to leave them fine when they're gone eventually. You know, I'm I'm 29 and that's something that I think about all the time. You know, I think about what I do now and all my investments in real estate isn't just for me now. It's for my family in the future and for when I'm gone, you know, they have that. And it's more a bigger impact than myself. I think to me that's the American dream, and and probably to a lot of other people. I look at the American dream. I think there's maybe there's there's stair steps to it. You know, there's different plateaus. People get to different 
phases in life. I think there's maybe the American dream when you're in your 20s. There's American dream, you know, when you're in your 40s. There's one in your 60s. But I also think even generationally, there's there's some different paradigms with that. Like like whether you're first, second. I married into a, you know, multi generational, you know, Hispanic family, and so I, I I see the difference between you know my wife and and her brothers who are all very entrepreneur and very very spirited, and you know her her you know uncles and aunts and her, and her parents, you know, um, and then the generation beyond before them was you know first first. First generation, first generation, you know, not born first generation, I guess immigrants, they're immigrants, immigrants yeah. and then their, their kids were first generation. So I, I see that there's like some different generational. Right. I think it just changes, changes. It changes. But my father came from Cuba, I believe when he was seven, six or seven. And, you know, for him, it was for him and his brothers and his sister it was the same thing. You know, the, the, his father came because they wanted a better life here in America. Right. But for him, it was, you know, to build something for myself and my sister and my mom for our family. And I think that's, you know, it kind of changes by generation by generation. But I think the generational wealth aspect still is around. And it just, to me, it's been blowing up recently on social media. Yeah, I, I don't think it ever changes. Like for me, I'm pat, like I'm, I even know at this point, like my children's, you know, wealth, right? Assuming, assuming, you know, I can not raise them to be spoiled brats, assuming I can raise them to want to be charitable, assuming I can raise them to have integrity and, and to work hard, which is in some ways harder when they come from a place of abundance right. or wealth. Like, like for me, I was growing up as a kid. I was like, how can I just survive? Right. How can I just get out of this situation? How can I get out of this life? How can I get to college? Right. How can I get through college? How can I first start finally making some money? And then how can I figure out, you know, like at 22, you know, it's funny, a guy who, you know, owns a REIT and builds wealth for people at 22, I really didn't understand a credit card or credit, you know? <laughs> And, and so how do I survive? So that's, I had a very different American dream at that age than I do today. But, right. you know, for me, it's gone past just my kids. And now it's like, you know, I got, I got, I'm, how do I build generational wealth for um, our rad employees? Right, exactly. How do I build generational wealth for, you know, my, my wife's, you know, larger family, my larger family, you know, and now, you know, two of my brothers work, you know, in the business with me. Well, they didn't start the business with me, Right. right? And so now, you know, them joining, joining me, you know, on, on this journey, you know, halfway into the journey, you know, how do I look at their kids? But what is the generational dream to them is, is it, you know, I want my son, right? One who's, you know, very sports oriented and one who's very musical and art oriented, right? I don't want them to have to worry about money to pursue their passion right. and pursue, pursue, pursue their dream. How much did that factor into you? Like when you were making decisions about what you wanted to do or not, not, not really as much as I'm going to go do this because I know this is financial stability. Well, I originally didn't even want to go to college. Um, I was like, well, you know, I'm just going to go work with my dad or my mom and I'll learn from them. And then I just got to the point where I'm like, I want to do my own thing. Uh, I want to go, you know, I want to further my education, not just to open doors, because I think education, not only undergrad, but graduate school opens doors, but to give myself opportunity, you know, that leeway that if, if and I saw my, my father and my mother go through the reception in 2008. Uh, and, and he had like 60 houses at a time. So I saw it hit him. Guys, see, you're 20, 20, you're 29. That's 20. That's 20, 14 years ago. I yeah, was 15. Four, you're 15. Well, that's, a, that's a tough time to be in. Yeah, I was in, I was in, your I was in high school it. and I saw my dad go through that. And my mom. Uh, and, you know, my dad had to move to New York and run a restaurant. And my mom had to go work somewhere else and stop doing mortgages at that point. And, and it was very bad. So I saw the bad and I saw the good, you know, I saw when they were successful and he was flipping all these houses. And then I thought to myself, I need to give myself an opportunity to open doors, but that's recession proof. 
you know, so I went to law school and I got a degree and I'm like, okay, this gives me the opportunity to do something I like, which is real estate, but also gives me the opportunity that if I want to go open a business, if I want to go do something, I could come back to it if I want. And that's what I see school as. It's funny. I, you know, your journey might not be as different from mine as I, I thought, right? Where like my parents lost real estate, made money in real estate, lost money, made money in real estate, but more because of addictions and, and other reasons, not because of a crash. And so living on my own at 16, college was actually kind of like a reprieve for me. It's like I actually had a chance to be an adolescent, a chance to grow up. Right. Whereas, you know, in, when, when I went through the different things I went through, you know, from 12 to 16, I didn't get that chance. And so I needed that to mature as a person. I don't think college is for everyone by any means. And what I don't like about college today is I think it teaches people how to obey the system. Right. I, I don't think college is for everyone. I think it's uh, for me, it's like a, a tool you can utilize to give yourself opportunity um, and, and kind of like a safety net for yourself. It's it, it was good for it was good for me and, and, and a lot of different reasons. I think for me, do I think that my kids need to go to college? My answer would be no. But I think it, it can be healthy. Right. And, and I think for different kids, they need it because I think our kids are going to mature in a weird way. Mm-hmm. that we don't fully understand you know you grew up kind of in a social media world but the generation after oh, you yeah, is the true social media yeah. generation and and so you know what is that like how do they you know what are their relationships like you know and 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 you know i when i hear somebody not driving until they're 20 it kind of blows my mind when i'm thinking like at 15 like i was getting <laughs> a superintendent to sign a school license so i could drive to a yeah. school because of my parents stuff so it it's a, it's a it's kind of interesting do you, do you have kids no i don't okay so it's not yet yeah it's all right i was i, <laughs> I didn't get married till 30 something yeah i got some time have, <laughs> i didn't have kids till um see my oldest is six and i'm 43 so 37 right. I, I had my first so you got a long you got a, got a long time I got a while. <laughs> and you can have them after that too right so i'm an old dad though yeah. I, I will be you know my kids hit you know 18 20 i'll be 60 so no i won't be 60 but i might be in my late 50s right so but cool. Um, anything else you want to share? Anybody? I think affiliated 1031 exchange, everybody, you know, download the the stuff that they do there. Um, I would actually like to, if with your permission to kind of take notes from this and just have my team throw together a, a, like kind of a downloadable. Yeah. Yeah. Of PDF course for we, people. we have a, we and actually have a, we have an ebook okay, in cool. English and in Spanish. Uh, so those are on our website. You can download them or you can email me and I'll, I'll provide them to you. I think uh, this is, like I said, this is a tool that everyone should use. I would I would give you your email, but we, we are at a million plus you know followers through different channels, so you, they, they they might maybe not my personal they may, <laughs> maybe, they may be extremely blow you up, but I will give your website the links. Yeah, um, uh, we'll get the ebook and and create that as a link to directly for you guys to download that are watching this, but. But, but thanks, Ricky. Anything you want to ask me, man? Um, well, I think I know more about you now than I did before I got here. So that's always good. Uh, thank you for having me. I appreciate coming. And, you know, I'm always here to answer any questions. And, and I'd love to come back if you need me to. Well, cool, man. I appreciate it. And, and thanks for the time. No problem. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Rad Podcast. Explore wealth. If you would like more information, visit our website, www.raddiversified.com. That's www.raddiversify.com. If you enjoyed what you're listening to, leave us a review and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. For more content, visit our YouTube channel, The Rad Podcast. Explore wealth.